If you have your Bibles, would you please go with me to Matthew chapter 6. We continue here in the Sermon on the Mount series. We get into a new chapter today, and the title of my message is Undercover Worship. And um, you'll see why as we walk through this. There's a, a key theme here in the message today, and it's that the outward display that you'll see with the Pharisees and all the righteous acts and deeds that they had, it was missing something, and it was missing their heart. And um, so there's what God can do on the inside of us that's real and genuine, and so uh, it's the outward display versus an inward Discipline, And we're actually going to touch on three disciplines as Jesus brings these things forward. The first discipline is giving to the poor. And then the next one he'll touch on is the private prayer life. And then lastly, he'll touch on private fasting. And these are disciplines. These are things that, that God has called us to as followers of, of Christ. And not only are they disciplines, but these are acts of worship. We can worship the Lord when we give our resources to the poor. We worship the Lord when we go to him in private prayer. We worship the Lord when we fast. And Jesus is going to directly confront the Pharisees' hypocrisy. He seems to do that quite often, these religious leaders who had a whole lot going on the outside, but on the inside they were whitewashed tombs. These men were empty even though they looked spiritual on the outside. The word hypocrite is actually a term for Greek actors who wore masks. Now, these were phonies. These were posers. These were people who looked like they had uh, one thing going on, but they were actually something else. And the issue here that Jesus had with the Pharisees is that they were elevating themselves, they were honoring themselves under the pretense of glorifying God. That's a pretty serious offense. Look at how righteous and spiritual I am as I glorify the Lord. That was the issue that Jesus had. We'll walk through verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to um, use next Sunday to walk through the Lord's Prayer that he teaches his disciples. And so we'll save that for next week, but then we're also today going to look at uh, verses 16 through 18, because Jesus speaks about the private fasting during that section. And so let me pray before we get into the words of Jesus here. And so would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Father God, I thank you for this time. As we gather around your word, I, I pray and ask that you would speak to each and every heart that is listening. And Father, in this particular area of spiritual disciplines, you know my heart, you know my shortcomings, you know my weaknesses. I am not perfect in these areas, but Lord, you call us into a deeper intimacy with you. And so as I share your heartbeat, Lord, I want to glean from what it is that you have to say. And I want to be used right now to communicate these truths. So Lord, I'm asking for your grace. I'm asking for your help in communicating this message today. Lord, this is an area you desire to strengthen in all of us. And so Lord, please guide us 
please bless this time. Be with the kids as they lean into Christ. Thank you for those serving in our children's ministry. Bless them today as they lead. We thank you for this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, would you please stand as we read Jesus' words. Matthew 6, starting here in verse 1. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now we're going to verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. So let's look at these three areas of discipline that Jesus calls us to, these three acts of worship, giving to the poor, private prayer life, and private fasting. These are not the only spiritual disciplines that the Bible calls us to, but these are three here that Jesus is singling out. And I want to point out this to you. As followers of Christ, please notice Jesus' words in verse 2, 5, and 16. When you give, when you pray, And when you fast, not if you give, if you pray, and if you fast. This is an expectation, a way of life that Jesus believes, if you're going to follow me, this is how you go about this. Now, did Jesus ever give to the poor? Well, he gave to them in a lot of ways. Did Jesus ever have a private prayer life? You better believe it. He would often go off kind of to the side on his own to spend time with the Father. Did Jesus ever fast? You bet. We see that Satan would come to him and try to tempt him in the midst of that fast. But this is what Jesus has done. He's given us an example, and he's telling his followers of Christ, this is going to be a part of the way of life for you as a follower of me. When you give, when you pray, when you fast... He speaks to this happening, but he points out, I want you to do this in a manner that is not on this public display so that you're trying to sort of heap these, uh, you know, 
rewards onto yourself here on this earth. I want people to think good of, of me. I want them to, to honor me. And, and so look at how spiritual this person is. And, and Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be empty like the Pharisees. I want your heart. And so what you're doing in private reveals to me where your heart's really at. So I want to walk through each of these three disciplines. We'll start with giving to the poor. Okay, and um, this is not a message about uh, giving to the church. Okay, Jesus pointed out giving to the poor. Okay, this is something separate from the giving to the church, which I think would be really hard for a hypocrite to do, wouldn't it? You know, it's not like, well, I, I mean, I did what I needed to do at church or whatever I feel obligated to do at church. What does it look like to privately be blessing people throughout the week. That goes beyond Sunday. And that doesn't mean, you know, we've got a nice big, you know, cardboard check and we went, you know, and then called the newspaper and they came and took pictures of that. Look at me giving to the poor through the week. What does it look like to do it without all the pomp and and circumstance, knowing that only God knows this and the person that's receiving this blessing and they can glorify the Lord in this. That's the end goal, not glorify God me. Giving to the poor would be very difficult for the hypocrite because in that culture, uh, you were giving to people that could scratch your back in return. Well, what's a poor person going to do for a Pharisee other than maybe make them look better? This would be very hard for those that don't understand what it means to truly give to those in need. But let's also touch here on giving in general. These Pharisees would make this a spectacle. I want you to imagine if in the back where we have our tithe and offering container, we actually had this giant chest with a horn coming out of it. It would be called a trumpet chest or a shofar chest. You see a a picture here on the screen. Can you imagine? I mean, a horn kind of has that bell at the end, and it projects the noise that's coming out, the note that's being played. Well, the Pharisees, they would go, and it's almost like they'd go to the bank, cash in their bills to get all the change that they could, so they'd come, and they would make a lot of noise when they would dump in their offering. Look how spiritual. I got the Coca-Cola bottle, right? They're dumping it in to the trumpet chest. Then you see Jesus making that statement, don't go blowing trumpets in the synagogue. You see the connection there? The trumpet chest. Don't go make a bunch of noise thinking, wow, look how spiritual these religious leaders are. They're giving a fraction of what they own, but they're making a big deal out of it. Converting their money into the loudest form. Dumping it in. Jesus says, give your gifts in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Do you believe that God can see everything? If you're not answering yes to that question, please hear me today. God sees everything. He sees everything. In fact, there's a moment when Jesus is with his disciples, and there's a widow who comes up to give her donation. Perhaps you've heard the the story of the widow's might. And in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw 
also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. God sees every act. And this woman, out of what little she had, she gave much. And she didn't make a huge spectacle out of it. This giving was something that was going on in the heart. And that's what matters. That's what Jesus is trying to point out here is where is your, your sense of giving? Where's the motivation coming from? Is it a heart and a desire to worship God? Again, this is an act of worship, giving. Giving sort of detaches you from what you think is yours. Realizing that these are resources that God has given me and I want to be a blessing with them. If you're interested in looking at what a widow's might would be, by the offering box I set a, a little uh, card that is holding a widow's might inside of that. If, if you'd like to see that in person, it's back in the back after service. Take a peek. Very small, very simple, but yet so profound the magnitude of worship that was going on inside this woman's heart. This past summer, when we were on sabbatical, we were out in Pennsylvania, and um, we got to stop at the museum for Milton Hershey. Any Hershey fans listening today? Yes, this was one of my favorite stops, let me tell you. Um, the chocolate, it was coming out everywhere. And, um, you know, one of the neat things about this particular museum is to see Milton's heartbeat for the poor, to see his heartbeat for philanthropy and how he would give out of his excess. This was a man that, um, he, had, he was an entrepreneur, obviously. Um, it was interesting to, to go through the museum and see all the ways in which he would uh, try to be selling stuff. And uh, even at one point, maybe got a little taken advantage of by his dad. Oh, you're trying to sell candy? Let me sell boxes that you put candy in. And almost put his son out of business by making him buy the box that dad needed to make some money on. And you just see all of these things. But some things that really struck me in this museum is that this guy, Milton Hershey, he and his wife, they were unable to have children. And they had a heartbeat, though, for orphans and for those that were less fortunate. And so they began a ministry that would work with these individuals, care for them, give them education. In fact, there was a Bible in one of the display cases that uh, they said that every student that would go through the program would get a Bible. And um, they would also be assigned a verse that was their like life verse as they were going through the program. He had such a heart for these kids. And at one point, he and his wife made a decision, we're just going to sign the whole estate over to this orphanage and this school. That when, when, we're, when we're gone, it's all going to go towards these kids. It was like $60 million. And at that time, I mean, that's just like goober amounts of money. It's crazy. But it wasn't like anybody knew about it. Maybe the, the lawyers or the individuals that were there to have to make all that make sense legally. But it wasn't until years later, someone from the newspaper caught wind of this. And then it was publicized. You know, Hershey gives away $60 million. It wasn't like he was saying, hey, come on down here. We need to, you know, boost the image of my brand. And so, uh, you know, smile, snaps the picture, and we make a big deal. It was done in private. 
And I just appreciated the heartbeat of that. It wasn't supposed to be a huge deal, but that's where he was. And I don't totally know where he was with the Lord, but if you're assigning scriptures to students and giving away Bibles, my guess is he had a relationship with the Lord. At one point, I also read on a plaque, I believe it was during the Great Depression, that the churches that were struggling to make ends meet in that area of Hershey, Pennsylvania, he ended up helping each of those churches with their budgets to keep them afloat during the Great Depression. And you see all of these things from a man who clearly the Lord had given him resources and to see it in a way where it's not his, but these are resources from the Lord. One cool thing, you come in and when you go, they give kids a token and your token, you scan each thing and you get to hear more about uh, Hershey's life and, and the things that he's done. But at the end of the experience, the kids get the choice of where they're going to give that coin. And there's all kinds of options for the kids to put that in place, trying to teach them that life is not about you, it's about trying to help other people. And I like the quote that was there, one is only happy in proportion uh, to how he is making others feel happy. And I just appreciate some of those things. Well, these three acts of worship, we understand that giving to the poor is something that God has called us to. And so to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit is important on this. We know that in general God's telling us to give to the poor, but I think as we move forward we go, okay, Lord, then show me areas and ways in which I can accomplish this. And God will be faithful to do that. It's possible there's someone listening right now that wouldn't want to pray that prayer because you're afraid of how much God may ask you to give to the poor. Would you be courageous enough to ask God to show you in that area? See, this is him working out that selfishness that can sort of rise up in us, that possessiveness that we have with our money, our stuff, which is a complete lie. It's not ours. It's the Lord's to begin with. What if he called you to write one of the biggest checks to a family in need? that you've ever written. What if he, he had you go over to a house of some people that it might be a little socially awkward and deliver them a meal? And what will people think, you associating with these kinds of people? Well, if you're like the Pharisees, that'll scare you away. But if you're a follower of Christ, you go in with obedience. Let's talk about private prayer life. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners. And they also like to use lots of words. You know, starting a prayer with 50 to 80 adjectives of who God is. Right, sort of elevating themselves and, and the ways and the words. You're like, I've never even heard that word before, but it sounds spiritual. And we pray these lofty prayers that sound good, but what's really going on in the heart of a person. Now, hear me. Jesus is not condemning all public prayer. Okay, Jesus is pointing at the motives 
the reasons that people are doing it. Is it, is it an imitation or is it intimacy with God the Father? So it's important to understand a space and a place that, that you can spend time with the Lord. Do you have that in your life? A, a place that you can go to that's set aside from the noise. And speaking of setting aside from the noise, there's all kinds of distractions that we have in our life. And sometimes the best space and place you can go to spend time with the Lord is where those distractions aren't present. So that you're not in the middle of that time and then something interrupts that time. If you know the movie War Room, there was a gal in that movie that had a prayer closet and that's where she would go to lift the things up to the Lord and to be able to do so without having all kinds of distractions and things that would pull her away. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus would often withdraw to have that time with the Father to pray. So we see Jesus making that example for us. And as a follower of Christ, I'm to do what Christ did, and he would spend that time, that personal prayer. The Fire Bible says that every child of God should have some place to be alone with God. Without such a time and place, we will never develop a consistent and personal prayer life. Secret prayer is not a matter of hiding our faith or keeping Christ's message to ourself. It's a matter of growing in our personal relationship with Christ and then learning to discern the voice of his spirit as he guides and he teaches us. Secret prayer is especially important, and they give three points here. Number one, in the morning, so we can commit our day to God and start out with him on our minds. It's also important in the evening, so we can give thanks to God for his help throughout the day and also consider what he wants to teach us with the day's experiences. And then lastly, number three, praying whenever the Holy Spirit prompts us or inspires us to pray throughout the day, sometimes for our own situation, but often for other people. And so the Bible encourages us to pray without ceasing, that this is a, a way in which we carry ourselves throughout the day. So not only is there private prayer, but there's also just consistent prayer. And a question I would have at this moment is, are you someone who is thriving in your private prayer life? What does that look like for you? This is a discipline. This is, if you believe in the power of prayer, this should be something we do often, something we, we bring into our faith journey on a consistent basis. There's power in prayer, and believe me, the enemy knows this. So how can he distract you? How can he pull you away from one of the very weapons of warfare that God gives us? How can I muzzle this Christian so that they can't call out to the one who's more powerful than me? The enemy will try to keep you from engaging in prayer. Let's shift now to the discipline of fasting. And uh, this particular topic sometimes I think can be confusing in the, uh, the church world and, and the reasons why people do it. And, and so I just want to touch on that for a second. First off, fasting is actually feasting. So think of it that way. Fasting, 
feasting. Now, wait a second. If you're fasting from something, particularly food, how are you feasting? Well, think of it this way. You're giving greater time and attention to spiritual things. You're feasting on what the Lord has available to you through the scriptures, through prayer, through seeking him, through worship, devoting yourself to prayer and seeking God. This is feasting. And so when you say, I'm fasting from these things, it's to give greater time and attention to the heart of God. One thing that fasting does is it can reveal areas of our flesh that need some work. How many of you know that you're not yourself when you're hungry? Yeah. And some of the worst things can come out of you when you haven't eaten And I think of when uh, Elijah had this huge moment uh, at Mount Carmel, and I'll touch on this in a moment a little bit further with the prophets of Baal, but uh, he has this incredible moment where God shows up and completely consumes this altar in front of all these false prophets, and his God showed up for him. But then he finds out he's got a death threat from the queen, Jezebel, and he's scared, so he runs off into a cave, and while he's there, he's having this whole pout session with God. And it's just, I mean, did you just forget what God has done for you? And while all that's going on, God in his grace, he helps Elijah take a nap and he feeds him. So I know that there is something about having a little bit of nutrition that kind of helps you think a bit better. You know, any amens with that? Yeah. But when we fast, we might be able to, to see more clearly areas of our flesh that are still very much alive. And these are opportunities to work on those as the Holy Spirit shows us that areas of needed growth. I've heard uh, it said fasting is almost like prayer without words. God's doing things in the midst of fasting as we seek him. And, um, you know, one of the things it does is it expresses our dependence on God and our submission to his will. And we can fast not just in the area of food. You can fast from screens. I know we're in the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday was this last Wednesday. And leading all the way up to Easter, there's many folks that um, deny themselves in certain areas. And, and the purpose of that is, is not to show up and go, well, what did you give up for Lent? What did you give up for Lent? The purpose of giving those things up is I'm going to use this time to seek the heart of God in a greater way. And so we do that. We fast from all kinds of things. And if you're sitting here now and you go, you know what, I think I'm going to fast from fasting, that does not work. (laughs) You fast from the things that I would say are in the natural so that you can focus in on the supernatural and God's provision. I want you to be careful, though, in the topic of fasting. This is not a means of twisting God's arm. Like if I fast and the Lord sees this, he's going to somehow show up on my behalf. Okay, I think that you're going to seek him in greater ways during that season or that time frame of fasting. And you will experience the hand of the Lord. And so fasting was helpful in seeing God show up. But if you're sitting there going like, oh God, you know, like that's the false prophets that Elijah met at Mount Carmel. 
they were like cutting themselves and dancing all around and doing all kinds of goofy things, trying to call down their false God to, to do what they needed this false God to do. And Elijah, he just like steps up. It's like, all right, God, I need your help. And boom, down comes the fire, licks up the altar, everything on it, all the water that was around it completely licked up, including the stones that they had set up for the altar. It wasn't some lofty prayer. It was Elijah calling out to a God that he knew that he had spent time with time and time again, and he knew he was real, so I'm going to call on him in this moment. Be careful not to leverage fasting as like a means of, well, now I've gained a little more merit with God. Maybe he'll show up on my behalf. If you're a Christian seeking a merit-based relationship with God, you are going to find yourself in some very difficult circumstances. Why isn't God showing up? I'm doing this, I'm doing that. When we already kind of have some of those questions when we're seeking the Lord, and if you're trying to earn God's favor by the religious things, you are now living out a false religion. Seek the one who can bring guidance in your life, not all the ways in which we think we can sort of conjure up the Lord's answer and response. Here's some things from Wayne Grudem regarding fasting. Fasting increases our sense of humility and dependence on the Lord. Fasting allows us to give more attention to prayer. Fasting is a continual reminder. Just as we sacrifice some personal comfort to the Lord by not eating, so we must continually sacrifice all of ourselves unto him. Fasting is a good exercise in self-discipline, for as we refrain from eating food, which we would ordinarily desire, it also strengthens our ability to refrain from sin, to which we might otherwise be tempted to yield. Fasting also heightens spiritual and mental alertness and a sense of God's presence as we focus on the material things of this world, focus less on those things, and, um, you know, obviously pursuing things of the Lord. And fasting expresses an earnestness and urgency in our prayers. And so we, we, we fast for a purpose. David Platt says it this way, one day all of our praying and all of our fasting in pursuit of God will culminate in the goal of our salvation. Everlasting, uninterrupted, uninhibited, unimaginable, indescribable, all satisfying communion with God. There was a point where Jesus was being questioned by the religious leaders and Jesus had his followers and they go, why aren't you fasting? And Jesus says, well, they'll fast when I'm gone. But he was with them. And there's a day where there won't be the need for this fasting because we will have that relationship and that communion with God that's not hindered by the curse of sin. And, and we will experience God in all his glory. Let's talk a bit about Jesus expressing the rewards for this private devotion and disciplines. Verses 4, 6, and 18, your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 1 actually kicks it off too. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. If you want earthly recognition, to some degree that may be all it could be. But if you 
operate in the ways that God is calling you to and doing things in a private manner, there's rewards that await you in heaven that will last forever. Now, I'm not saying that anytime you're publicly recognized for something, all of a sudden, God's like, well, I guess we'll take that off for when they get to eternity. Sometimes there will be moments where we recognize people. And the key, though, is who's being glorified when we recognize the individuals. Do we reflect the glory of God and and give it back to him? or, Or do we start to take that for ourselves? And the thing about secrecy is it reveals the heart and the motive that's really going on inside of us. Are you about pleasing God or are you about pleasing man? That's really what it comes down to. And doing these kinds of things in a private way, I think, comes against the desire to try to please men. Pleasing the people around you. So back to the key theme. Outward display versus an inward discipline. That's what Jesus is addressing. So I kind of ask the question here. Where are things at for you spiritually? On a deep level inside of you, do you have the realities of what Jesus is talking about? Are they at work in your life? Or is it primarily an outward display thing? We, we check boxes. We, we go to church, and then that's about it. The rest of the week, I just go do my own thing. Oh, Sunday's back again. We must go to church. But what's happening inside of you Monday through Saturday? What does that look like for you? I recall being at a men's event at Twin Lakes Bible Camp, and the speaker that year talked about how private holiness precedes public effectiveness. Your private holiness precedes public effectiveness. So in other words, what I'm doing privately will actually set the tone for how successful I'm going to be with the call of God on my life and the things that he wants to do in and through me. Jesus clearly states this in John 15. He goes, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the more I remain in him, the more I'm going to produce fruit and how God's going to use me in the call that he has on my life. So the the time that you spend with him will determine how fruitful you are for the Lord. So I have a few questions here in closing. The first one is this, to everyone listening, do you desire to grow in the disciplines that we talked about today. To grow in in generosity and giving, to grow in your prayer life, uh, to grow in the area of fasting and what that looks like. Do you desire to, to grow in any of these areas? And it's possible right now you're saying, yeah. And then, but I wanna ask you the question, why? Why do you wanna grow in those areas? Is it because it's the spiritual thing to do and that's what Pastor Russ says and so I'm gonna just do this because somehow I'm gonna receive favor from God or is it because you desire to grow deeper in your relationship with your heavenly father? I want that to be your motivation as to why you'd respond today 
in growing in these three areas because I want deeper intimacy with my Savior. I want him to work out my selfishness and pride as I give away the resources that he's given me. I want to experience him and encounter him in deeper ways as I spend that time in communion and prayer with him each day. And I want to, to be someone who, who can say no to all these things from the world and say yes to the spiritual things that he has for me, setting aside all the distractions and, yes, maybe even food so I can feast on the things that God would want me to partake in, all to grow in my relationship with Christ. And here's the thing. As you pursue that and that's your motive, I guarantee you this, and it's because of John 15 and what Jesus says, will you remain in me and I in you, you're going to produce fruit. Let him take care of the public effectiveness. You focus in on the private holiness. Strengthening your relationship with the Lord. The last question is this, and this is for everyone listening. I don't ever want to assume that the people I'm talking to have a relationship with Jesus. I've referenced that several times here. God has created you for a relationship with him, and that comes through what Christ did for you on the cross. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus took that sin upon himself, paid the penalty and the price for your sin so that you could have a relationship with your creator. God desires that intimacy with you. To be someone that you can spend time with, that you can seek and and draw strength from and and fellowship with. He desires that with you. Do you desire a relationship with him today? If you desire to receive Christ, I want to encourage you. At some point today, call out to the Lord. And I think with the nature of Jesus saying, go into your room, shut the door. If you want to receive Christ, I'm giving you the instructions right now. And I don't do this often where I'm saying, go home, do this privately. But for today, if you desire a relationship with the Lord, don't, don't leave this place without hearing my heart. I want you to know Christ. But I encourage you at some point today, to share that prayer with the Lord and say, I, I want you in my life. Please forgive me of my sin that separates me from you, God. And I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Would you do that today? Again, as we seek the Lord and the private holiness will help us to be effective and fruitful followers of Christ. I'm going to close this time with prayer, but then that prayer is going to lead into a clip from the movie War Room. And I'm going to let this prayer warrior's prayer speak over each and every one of us that God would call us into a deeper relationship with him and that he would raise us up. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I believe your spirit is speaking to each and every one of us. 
Perhaps there's some areas here of spiritual disciplines that, that we're not pursuing. Let us not pursue them because it's the religious thing to do, but let us pursue these because we will grow in our intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help to take this word, plant it deep into our hearts, produce fruit. In Christ's name, amen. You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again. You are good and you are mighty and you are merciful. And you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world. That will not compromise when under pressure. That will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up.